This is an ABC radio podcast. Have you ever taken on a role that was just a bit beyond your actual skill set, but convinced yourself and everyone around you that you knew exactly what you were doing while panicking behind the bravado? Seems to be the way of the world these days. There's a lot of hot air everywhere. It's that whole fake it till you make it thing. So perhaps we need a cautionary tale. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tall Tales and True, the best stories from Australia told live, where we venture into the glitz of Australian filmmaking courtesy of performer Rob Carlton. Rob's been in all the big name Australian series. Most recently, you might have seen him play Kerry Packer in Paper Giants, the series about Clio magazine. Well, he's been around TV and film sets since he was a kid, so he's picked up quite a bit of experience and quite a bit of bravado. And when he took on a job in an Australian film project, he talked up his skill set just a wee bit too much. And yet, it may have inspired the best acting he's ever done in his life. Here's Rob, and there's a language warning on this one. Or two, or three, or four, or five. I've long believed the single most compelling force in any situation is legitimacy. You work hard, be true to yourself, and you will prevail. And ironically, to gain legitimacy, sometimes you have to tell a little bit of bullshit. (laughs) Sometimes you have to tell a lot. I'm 25 years old. I've been living in Los Angeles with my buddy Dean for six months and we are poor. And a bit sad, to be honest. Sad in both ways. We were sad to look at and sad to be. We needed something to change when the phone rang and Dean picked it up. Yeah? Yeah. I might know someone. I'll call you back. That was my mate Pascal. Dean says. He's making a film in Melbourne. He starts filming in eight days and his continuity expert has just dropped out. He'll pay $1,800 a week cash. He'll fly you back to Australia and then back here and all you've got to do is continuity on a feature film. We'll We'll be able to buy your book on it probably so you'll know what to do. And I can tell you a bit about it too. All I want is 10% of your wage as a hookup fee. What do you reckon? To be clear, continuity is an expert's position on a film. All right? The stuff you think you know about continuity, how much wine is in the glass, that's the easy stuff. You've also got to monitor and record screen, director, screen direction of actors' sight lines as, as well as their entrances and exits to make sure action cuts together. You're matching dialogue, wardrobe, makeup, blocking, stunt action and cinematic techniques. You're timing every scene. You record all the camera lenses and filters. You describe all the shots used to cover all the scenes. You are the information conduit between four different departments as your daily production report is the Bible of where all sound and vision can be found and in what order they're required to put the film together. You are the steady, unflappable force always at the director's side. There's a lot of paperwork, a lot of fine detail. You're often put on the spot with a whole crew staring at you and there's a few other things as well. So now you try remembering where the fucking wine level was. Not so easy now, is it? 
Well, happily, I didn't know any of this about continuity when I said to Dean, let's give it a crack. <laughs> Dean called his mate Pascal back. Good news, Pasky. He's one of the best. And he's available. And so, 36 hours later, I kid you not, <laughs> I'm flying out of LAX to Melbourne in my new capacity as the international continuity expert, stepping in at the last to save this small but noble Australian film. <laughs> I was excited. The director of photography, the DOP, was a hotshot American being flown in too. He had credits on some big US films, including the Home Alone franchise. <laughs> But excitement would have to wait. I had one 14-hour flight to learn a whole profession from a book. <laughs> the role of script supervision in film and television, which is what they call continuity in the US. And I had to get cracking because I also wanted to squeeze in an in-flight movie. <laughs> now, after dropping my bags at home, I went straight to the production office. We had so little time. And the setup was impressive. They'd taken over a series of buildings and an entire laneway off Sydney Road in Brunswick. And the pre-production buzz was electric. I grew up on sets. It, it always gets to me. The camera department were shooting tests on super 35mm film. Production design were creating the world of our movie. The composer was on site too, punching out hard electronica. The whole place had a punk grunge, but kind of moneyed vibe about it. Pascal, <laughs> the director, uh, this little Aussie Italian dreamer, he was so grateful and happy to see me. <laughs> he said he was honoured. I'd been willing to clear my busy international schedule <laughs> for his film. He was sweet. So I patted him on the back and nodded supportively as though to say, we'll get you through this little man. Get you through. He introduced me to the producer as the guy that's flown in to save us. <laughs> I didn't resist. I nodded at the producer. He nodded at me. Two equals, he and I, each with a massive job to do. When it was finally my turn to speak, I, I started by lying my head off. The airport lost all my bags. All of them, all my continuity items that I own have now been lost by the airline people. <laughs> runner, where's the runner? A runner. You go and buy me all of the things on this list, all of them. Now, happily, chapter two of my book had a comprehensive list of all the things I would need, which I'd scribbled onto a piece of paper somewhere <laughs> over the Pacific. Now, some items were surprising. I had no idea why I would need them, but the runner, questioned none of it, so I assumed it made sense to him. <laughs> the producer was impressed with my ability to command one of his subordinates. <laughs> I was impressed with me too. <laughs> now that afternoon I faced my first real test. I was with the second assistant camerawoman, Julie, when she asked, which slate system are you going to use? Okay, truth, here, now. <laughs> I didn't know which system was better. I didn't know there were two systems. <laughs> I didn't know which system it was I knew. I, it seemed important. A huge rumble of a massive motorbike saved me. That's my boss, Julie said, as she ran out to greet this American rock star of a DOP. His long brown hair and charisma shimmered 
as he chucked back some breath mints while dismounting the Harley Davidson he demanded while he was in Melbourne. And when Julie got back to me, I'd snuck into the toilet and discovered my book had been written and published by Americans. We'll be using the American slate system. I said, why? The Australian system is much better, she said. No, I, I didn't blink. Look, I'm well aware of the deficiencies of the US system compared to the Australian system, but I've got limited pre-production time here, so let's stick with what I'm comfortable with. <laughs> there was the briefest pause where she l allowed herself to rightly think, cock. <laughs> Before she said, well, it's your call. You're the continuity expert. I nodded. Equally thrilled and disgusted with myself. <laughs> All right, the shoot. <laughs> oh. It would be true to say the film got away from us. <laughs> it would be equally true to say that it exploded in our faces so spectacularly and ingloriously, I bore witness to a devolution of the human spirit. <laughs> I mean, the obvious stuff broke first. The schedule, how you can be a full week behind after only two days filming <laughs> is a secret shared only by Pascal and Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> now, Financial pressure always weakens the producer, so when I told him by my timing estimates we were making a nine-hour movie, the poor man never thought in a straight line again. His efforts to arrest the slide, combined with his own untimely nervous breakdown, had him forcibly ejected from the set by the middle of week two. Pascal, whose own wife now took the producer reins, told us there was nothing to worry about. He was as wrong about that as he was about everything else. You see, drinks on rap were tradition by day two. And as you know, when the drinking starts, the fucking begins. <laughs> and fuck they did. Oh, at first it was just quickly and horridly in small offices late at night. But soon it spilled onto set at lunch, specifically behind the grips truck. <laughs> By now, a heady mix of sleep deprivation, paranoia and lovers' quarrels took control of the crew, which meant shouting matches and humans weeping were our constant daily companions. The most spectacular demise of any one person was, of course, our American DOP from the Home Alone franchise. He was pure and simply fucking nuts. <laughs> So the breath mints he'd been scoffing turned out to be a medley of Xanax, Zoloft and Sudafed. <laughs> so he literally went from shouting his orders like an army general to moments later sleeping like a newborn baby just behind the camera setup. Now that might be filmmaking American style, but in Australia you're going to get called on it. And it was his gaffer, the guy that works closest to him, that made the call. Now, why he chose to call it on a sloping tiled roof three storeys high, I will never know. But to watch those two giant men roll and wrestle and punch and swear at high altitude 
was the most beautifully barbaric and dangerous and pathetic thing I have ever borne witness to. Oh, I almost forgot. The American DOP and I were in a car crash together. I fucking kid you not. It's 3 a.m. after a night shoot. He's driving me home in his car. They've taken his bike off him after they discovered the narcolepsy. Um, <laughs> and he forgot what country he was in uh, when he took a right turn, slap bang into oncoming traffic. Now, just as the uh, oncoming car's headlights lit us up, he was staring at me, this, this once great man in bug-eyed confusion. For some perverse reason, that image still makes me smile. <laughs> his working holiday in Australia had come to an end and you would have to say not on his terms. The next day on set was perhaps my favourite. The resignations that the illicit sex demanded began in earnest. Uh, I, I thought the exit of the DOP would staunch the wound, but no, instead it inspired us just to bleed out. One after the other, with the dead eyes of the guilty and beaten, people made speeches about commitment and honour and hard work, and then they'd quit. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> it was so piss weak. Uh, no, you're not honourable. You've been drunk for three weeks while you've been shagging your co-worker, mate. Own it, right? But they didn't. By the end of the four-week shoot, there are only a few of us originals remaining, like the Wiggles. Now, for me, I'd had the best time of my life. <laughs> uh, to absolve myself, I told two people the truth of my credentials. One, of course, was Julie, the camera assistant. Now, to hear her immediately say, oh, that's why we're using the American system, was priceless. Other than that, I never got found out. Uh, on the contrary, I found opportunity in chaos. I'd added script editor to my duties midway through the shoot. And by the final week, Pascal was so fatigued, I'd started writing new scenes of my own, which, <laughs> which we'd shoot to fill the gaps in the story. Being the continuity person, I was the only person that truly knew what we'd shot. <laughs> I was the only one that stayed sober and, and, and went to bed at night. I was, I was, I was the only one slightly sane. <laughs> On my final day of the shoot, I, I wore a tuxedo to celebrate. No one said anything. <laughs> but it didn't end there. A month later, Pascal and his wife offered me a considerable sum to write their next movie. <laughs> Pascal agreed that the one he'd written had some holes in it. I, I took their money. And I wrote that film. And by the time their faces were splashed all over the front pages of the newspapers for embezzling funds out of a supermarket in Brunswick, I was driving across America in my Oldsmobile station wagon with the money I'd legitimately bullshitted out of them. <laughs> and, and the movie we made? Straight to video. That's the bravest man around, or at least the man with the most amount of bravado, Rob Carlton, who still, believe it or not, is working in the industry. Now, Rob first told that story at Story Club in Sydney. It's held on the first Monday of the month at Giant Dwarf Theatre. You can check out giantdwarf.com.au for more details. Next time on Tall Tales and True, I have a big surprise. How's that for a tease? If you want to find out more, you'll have to go straight to the episode right now, because you can. 
This is a beautiful big batch delivery of the best of Australian live storytelling. That's what Tall Tales and True is all about. We don't want to keep you waiting. You deserve better than that. Oh, and if you've got space in your device to load up with more podcasts, take a look at Motormouth, where Yasmin Abdel-Majid tries her hand at Formula One racing, achieving a lifelong dream. For as long as she can remember, Yasmin's had a dream to make it to Formula One. She'll have to be physically and mentally tough. The heat, the speed, the mental anxiety. She'll learn what drives the world's best cars. It's sort of like a black magic because you don't really get to see it. You can listen to Motormouth on the ABC radio app or subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Does Yasmin have what it takes to make it to the top? Welcome to Motormouth. To find out if she does, subscribe now. I'm Sarah McDonald. Ciao for now.